as a continuation, I know we had some questions that were still on the table from yesterday, but just to get us started as a continuation from yesterday. The quote we were working off of was, Rabosai, what was the quote? Very good, Simcha. It's not the bite that it's not the bite of the snake that kills you. It's not the venom. It's not the avera that kills you. It's the emotional response that you have afterwards. We spoke about the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt and regret being very healthy statements of worthiness, and shame being I am unworthy of love and connection. You who to listen to this one, I think you'll like it. Ready? You'll uh, not like it. You'll like it. Yeah? Like but it's okay. It. You'll learn to like it. That's the avodah. You'll love it. You'll love it. Another quote from the Baal Shem Tov, but it's in line with this quote. If I fall, I fall. My future self will pick me up. It's a new quote. So it's, it's, a, it's, a it's, it's a real quote. I'm saying it to myself whenever I skip out on things and just say I'll do it later. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not the same thing. Listen carefully. <laughs> He's not just saying I'll get to it later. Listen to the quote of the Baal Shem. This is a very deep one. It's in line with what we've been saying. If I fall, I fall. My future self will pick me up. What does it mean? Let's, let's, let's understand it. Sam? Uh, means like, <clears throat> um, I don't need to worry about falling because I'm, like, I'm, I know I'm going to grow from it. Ah, in other words, the failure itself becomes the vehicle. In other words, the future self that you become, the future self that you become is a function of the fall that you had and the response that you will ultimately have from that fall. Let me, let me, let me spill it out. I'll get to you one second. Let me spill it out. So it goes, I think it goes something like this. I was talking to a young man today. There's all these decisions in front of him. I asked him, what do you want? It's not so posh to know what a person wants, right? It's not a simple thing. The process of not knowing what he wants is goof a part of the process of the discovery of what he wants. Does that make sense? In other words, right now, he's sort of like in a free fall. I could go this way, I could go that way, I could go a third way, right? There's so many different issues, the, the complexities of how all these things tie together. It's a, it's, a whole, it's a whole ASIC, right? So in that free fall of not knowing, what's he discovering? He's, he's discovering that future self. It's going to turn out, based on the decisions that he makes, he's going to go, oh, turns out I wanted this. It turns out that that was something I learned to negotiate. It turns out this was something that I, that I couldn't negotiate, right? And, and so we learn a lot about ourselves. And then the future self that we become, right, manages the initial fall that we had. Does that make sense? The fall becomes contextualized. I know, the bell bothers me also. No, but it's just like, why can't they just finish the song? Like so right, it stops in the middle. I hear you. It's painful to me too. Yeah. So you're saying in the in order to know what we want, we first have to not know what we want. Exactly. The beginning, of, the beginning of understanding begins with not knowing. You can't know something before you didn't know it. Right? So if you fall, you fall. 
the future self that you will become from that fall is gufa part of the process of becoming that future self that will ultimately pick you up. So when, we, when the Baal Shem Tov said, it's not the bite of the snake that will kill you, it's the venom, right? As you, as you begin to think about it, it's the bite of the snake, right? It doesn't kill you. Why doesn't it kill you? Yonatan, finish it off. Because the process that you're going to go through from the bite of the snake is going to be an exceptional process. What's the venom? The venom is if you don't go through the process. You understand? The venom is... Here, I made a mistake. I fell. Okay. Now, at, at this present moment, that failure that you had to, do, to align yourself properly with reality and to do the right thing, what would be your... Like, if you just put it in like a vacuum for a second, what would you look at it? What would you say when you looked at it? You would say, okay, how did it feel to do this Avera? Did it work for me? Is that really what I want? Right? And, and, and in that failure, there's a tremendous amount of potential. Maybe your initial response, maybe even your initial response for 20 years will be, yeah, it worked for me. I don't really care to daven. I don't really care to put on tefillin. I don't really care to keep Shabbos. Right? But... Embedded within that within that avera is what is the capacity to ultimately get to the to the core essence of it, which is to do tshuva. So sometimes a person has to fall. Sometimes for twenty years at a time, right? They're they're on a journey. They're heading somewhere for those twenty years, but at some point they're going to stop and they're going to go. Maybe right? They're going to stop and go. This is not what I want, right? There's that epiphany of the truth. So I'll give you an example of this, right? Um, I've told this story before. Some of you have heard it. Some of you have not. My Uncle Al. Uncle Al. Uncle Al did not grow up an Orthodox Jew. Uncle Al did not become an adult, nor as an elderly man, as an old, as a uh, Orthodox Jew. His children are not Orthodox Jews. He had never been. He had never been to visit Israel. He had never been to visit Israel, and. His first trip to Israel, after my parents made Aliyah, my dad's sister and her husband, um, Uncle Al's her husband, her, his first trip to Israel, they weren't even going to the Kotel. They were on one of these like, non-denominational tours. Like, they, didn't go to the, uh, they didn't go to the Kotel. They took them to Jordan to see, you know, what's the, what do they have over there? One of the, seventh wonders, one of the seven wonders of the walls in Jordan. Well, they, right, so they went there. And they have some like it's like what is it like a cave thing? It's supposed to be yeah. It's supposed to be very beautiful. But they didn't even go to the kotel. So my father got so upset at his sister. He said, "Fran, you came all the way to Israel. You're not going to the kotel. Please extend your trip. I want to give you like the Jewish tour of Israel." So they extended their trip, and on their way down to the kotel, as they're walking down the steps, Al, he starts like like you could see he's like starting to tear up. And as they're getting closer and closer to the Kotel, he's heaving, sobbing. And my father's literally holding him. By the time he gets to the Kotel, he's like, does, like he falls, like Tachanan on the Kotel, just bawling, bawling, bawling. And he says to my father, I have to put on tefillin. He probably had not put on tefillin since his bar mitzvah. And to be honest with you, those tefillin that he put on were probably not kosher. Right? So maybe he never put on tefillin a day in his life. Thankfully, there's always a tefillin around the Kotel area. So, you know, Chabad guy sees the opportunity, comes running over. And that day, my Uncle Al turned to my father and he said, I must put on tefillin. I must put on tefillin. I, mu- I, like, I, must, I have to buy tefillin. So they went to a cipher in the old city and they bought tefillin on the spot. 
I have no idea if my Uncle Al ever put on tefillin again. Right? But what led him to that moment? It was the absence of all of Yiddishkeit for so long. Like for us, so many of us come to the Kotel for the first time and we don't feel anything. Right? And like guys come to me afterwards and they're frustrated. They're like, I didn't feel anything. Well, yeah. Because sometimes we feel so saturated with it that we don't feel it. And, and, and maybe that's okay also, right? It's not maybe the best, but it's okay. Right? So the absence is what created the opportunity for him to have that emotional experience. Now imagine, again, I don't know that Al has ever put on tefillin a day afterwards, but imagine if the story had been, right, and it doesn't have to be this way, but imagine if the story had been that as a result of that day, Al bought tefillin and put on tefillin every single day. So it could be that the entire journey that had nothing to do ostensibly with Yiddishkeit, in its essence was really what? A journey towards... This doesn't work for me. Like if a person comes to me and says, Rabbi, I don't keep Shabbos. Okay, what's from? Well, shouldn't I be keeping Shabbos? I don't know. Should you? Well, there's a part of me that wants it. Oh, okay. So there's a part of you that wants to keep Shabbos. Yeah, but there's also a part of me that doesn't. Okay, so there's a part of you that doesn't. Right? And what happens within that conflict? Right? If I fall, I fall. But now let's say I stop keeping Shabbos. And then you wake up one day and you're like, this is not good. This is not a good life. And that gufa becomes the impetus for the future self. So I know a woman, and I'll open it up to questions. I know a woman from Muncie who married a guy, complete Gentile, from Haiti. She had three kids with him. The kids were Jewish, but obviously they were not being raised uh, as observant Jews. She was married to a guy. She was not interested in Bechlal. And one day she woke up, and the absence of Judaism in her life bothered her so much that she divorced her husband and brought her kids back to live in New York to raise them as Orthodox Jews. He ended up becoming a ger because he was so moved by what his, what his wife experienced. He said there must be some truth to this or Judaism he was thing. No was that? Or he was given no choice. No, no, no. He, 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 wanted, he wanted his kids. No, no, no. The opposite. He wasn't, uh, they were divorced. I mean, he, he, didn't, he had full access to his kids. had nothing to do with getting remarried. In fact, if you become a ger to get remarried, it's not a good geras. He was completely separated. They did. Oh, they remarried? Yeah, they got remarried. But, it was, but, but again, the absence of Judaism is what created the pure desire for it. Now you'll say some people don't get there. Okay. Okay, Yonatan, you had, a, you had something you wanted to say before. Oh, I wanted to just kind of like add to what you were saying in terms of this new quote, if I fall, I fall, and my future self will pick me up. So in a certain sense, beyond just the fall in the first place being part and parcel of becoming the future self, could we say that it's becoming of the future self, which in a certain regard picks up the having fallen in the first place and puts it in new light? Exactly. That's exactly what it's saying. It's saying that the, if I fall, I fall, my future self, which I only become because of the fall, will now recontextualize that initial fall and it won't be considered a fall anymore. It's, it's like you needed to fall in order to learn that thing to become that person, right? I, I've given the Kobe Bryant Marshall before, right? But Kobe Bryant said, they asked him, do you play the game to win or do you play the game not to lose? He said, neither, because either way you lose. If you play the game to win, sometimes you lose. If you play the game not to lose, sometimes you lose. So I play the game, he said, to learn. Every time you play, you learn something. If you did something and it didn't work, what did you learn? Don't do that again. Right? The way that you become great is you're constantly in a state of learning. So, Yonatan, to say, if I fall, I fall. Now what happens? 
I become the future self because of the failure itself. I learned, hey, that doesn't work for me. And then that future self, as it looks back on that initial, let's say, that Kobe Bryant miss, what does it say? It was never a fall because that's exactly how I learned to become this person to begin with. Yeah. Um, going off the top said, maybe it's a different a quote, but it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like you tell yourself when I fall, I fall, and my future self, it's like I know I'm gonna fall, and I'm pretty confident when I fall, I'll get right back up. Pretty much like relying on yourself and knowing that you're gonna make that mistake, but knowing that you can come. Ah, very good. In other words, there's also excellent point. There's also a confidence that you can sense in the Balshemtos quote. That he wasn't losing, in other words, this really goes back to the quote we said yesterday, right? That it's not the bite of the snake that kills you, it's the venom. After I do the Avera, I know about myself that I have the capacity to hold this, right? Well, it's I, not, it's I'm, like relying, just saying that you're relying on yourself. Right, and that's a good thing, right? To be able to say, I am someone who's reliable. But the point is that the, after I've fallen, I know I'm okay. There will be a future self. I've not lost that. That's an excellent point that you're making. That the few, that I'm confident in that future self to pick me up, which is the exact opposite of shame. Right? Shame means no confidence. I'm unworthy of love and connection. The feeling of regret means I am a godly soul. I have godly dignity. Of course, I'm capable. It's the abundance mentality. Excellent point. Superb. Yeah. Yeah, so just to expound on that point and give more context to what I was talking about, and while it may seem childish, I think it actually kind of uh, adds. Um, so the the I had like a, a few old adages uh, that I created myself when it came to when Rambam would drown me in homework, and because uh, you know we, they did so in waves. So say say it was Monday night, and I was drowning in like five different assignments. Some of them do the next day, some of them do like later in the week. You know, I would get done what I could, and then it would be 2 in the morning, and I'd be like, well, I have to go to sleep now, otherwise I'm not going to be able to function tomorrow. So, if something was due Thursday, I'd say, okay, screw future me. That's what I said to myself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> screw future me, I'm going to sleep. Right? And then, so what I was doing in that moment was I was, I was, I was making a responsible choice, and I was saying, I'm reliable. Right. And there, there is going to be a consequence, and I'm aware of that consequence. And so then the very next day, when I had to then face that consequence, I said, well, this sucks, and this is what was yesterday's future me, but I'm reliable, and now I'm going to get that done. Because these are the consequences of my actions. I know I'm reliable, and now I'm going to get this done, because this, this is what I was doing. I think there was a Simpsons episode like that many years ago, no? That Homer kept telling it's future self's problem? I don't Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I didn't get this one. Oh my, I feel, I, I just dated myself terribly. I just want you to know, every one of you is a bad person. You just made me feel really old. But I'm pretty sure there was a Simpsons episode like that. Yeah, I did it to myself. I'm proud to say it came out with that on my own. No, but it, 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 what's the Simpsons? It's like, a, it's like Family Guy, but just with different characters. The, um... You're, you're, you're actually, you're 100% right. To be able to say, I've done what I need to do for now, I'm not capable of doing more, but I believe that a future version of myself is capable of handling this, I think that's jumping off what you said, right? That's a, it's a, a really, really beautiful point. And then when you get to that future self, yes, it's hard, right? But that future self is also capable. And that's a really, again, a really beautiful thing. I, I like that better than what you said before. Yeah. 
Okay, so you said, uh, you said that yesterday that we continue the conversation about having a certain godly essence, and no matter what your what actions you perform, your core is still perfect. Right. So that being said, are all Jews equally godly, or can you become, or we're not equally godly, but become more godly in our core? You can't be more and less godly, right? Because if godly means infinite, you can't be more and less of that which is beyond numbers, right? So then we're all equally godly? Yes, but it doesn't mean that our lives are all equally godly. Our lives are also... Our, uh, meaning, my, my life, the life force itself, is infinitely godly. But what I choose to do with that, some people are leading very godly lives, and some people are leading, leading very so human lives. actions can be godly. Right, my actions can be more and less godly. I cannot be more and less godly. Okay. Yeah, Mark. Um, when you said earlier that after after the future self gets into the picture, it wasn't a fall because the fall led to the future self, which was not good in the end. But it was still a fall. Like if we're all equally godly throughout, the person before and the person after are equally godly. So it's all about the expression, right? If that's how we're writing it. Meaning, did I do the wrong thing? Is that what you're asking? Let's say a person didn't yeah. keep shots. Did oh. he do the wrong thing? Yeah. No. Did he? Yes. Absolutely he did. Right? We can agree to that. Yes. Also, Chazal say that if he did tshuva me'ava, our zdonos are nasalo keschuyos. Right? Our averos become merits for us. So, after he does tshuva me'ava, right, what will happen? It was good. Meaning, it will be a merit for him. So two things can be true at once. In, if you're looking at it from a linear perspective, right, on day two, right, he didn't keep Shabbos. By day seven, as we look back on that lack of keeping Shabbos, it's not that he kept Shabbos, but the lack of keeping Shabbos became a schus for him. How could the lack of keeping Shabbos become a schus for him? The answer is, because, right, because the process of not keeping Shabbos became... That absence, right, with embedded within any lack is a wholeness. The discovery of that wholeness sometimes has to occur, often has to occur from the place of lack. Rebel said, you have this idea, almost everything that you, we've ever done, myself included, how did we change? Where did that change come from? It, cha- it came from the fact that I wasn't doing it, right? That I got sick of being this way. And when you got sick of being that way is when you actually began to change. Would you have actually achieved that level if you were always doing the right thing? Perhaps not. Right? Like, uh, I've brought this example before, but the alcoholic who becomes uh, sober. Some of those people are the most deeply spiritual people in the world. Would Would they have become so deeply spiritual had they not suffered from alcoholism? Probably not. So embedded within the lack itself is the wholeness that they discovered. So did you do an Aver? Did you not keep Shabbos? Of course you did. You didn't keep Shabbos. You did the wrong thing. Afterwards, as I look back on it and I recontextualize it, the best thing that ever happened to me was that Avera. And now that Avera served as a, as a schus for me. But I still did the wrong thing at the time. At the time it was the wrong thing. Of course. But now it was a good thing. Turns out. If, if you were able to discover the wholeness within the lack. And discovering the wholeness within the lack, I'm not more godly in the end of it. No, but you've made the world a more godly place. And that, so there's more expression of godliness, but not necessarily in action, because it could be that I'm 
Yes, and actually... No, because now the way that I keep Shabbos, right, if, if on, let's say day one was the first Shabbos, day seven was the second Shabbos, right? Day seven's Shabbos is fundamentally different because, de- because of day one's Shabbos. It's a completely different Shabbos. And that could be that worth more than two Shabbosim? I, I would never know how to make that cheshbon, but it's certainly true. Like, two things can be true at once. That's why people say, so I should do the Averis so that I can experience the lack. No, you will do Averis. You don't have to work on doing the Averis. The work is to find the wholeness within the lack. So people come to me all the time and say, Rabbi, I, I can't stand myself. I'm, 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 I'm struggling with Shemir Sinayim. I mamish can't stand myself. So what's the? that's okay. It's okay for you to experience the fact that you're not proud of yourself right now, and you are, as you just said, right? You're confident enough in your future self, so you have the capacity to say, this isn't working for me. I don't feel good afterwards. I don't feel good. I don't like who I am. Sip. Uh, so what about people who, like, grew up, um, like, up until now, we've just been talking about, like, Balchubas or people who, like, what about people who, like, grew up without that, like, like without that lack? Like, the from, from birth people. Yeah, like, Someone like Rafine or something who like had like I don't know three of the greatest Torah leaders around him all the time and then like he just like grew up and like also became a Torah leader like big surprise but like himself. <laughs> right. What was his life? Right. Yeah, I have no idea. I couldn't possibly we begin. Don't know their yeah, I, I couldn't possibly speak to that, but I was going to make the point you're making. I, I once asked my Rebbe. My Rebbe told me that he had a uh, a fear of Hashem's din. So I said, Rebbe, and I think at the time when we had this conversation he was in his eighties. I was like, Rebbe, you just spent the last 50 years of your life teaching Torah to thousands upon thousands of Talmudim. You dedicated most, most, most of your day to preparing the shir to give over to the guys. Like, I can't imagine how many Haveras Rebbe did. Like, if Rebbe's afraid of Hashem's din, then like, what am I, what am I going to do? So he, I remember my Rebbe said, everyone has their struggles and you don't know mine. So I couldn't possibly answer your question. I just know that Everybody on their level has their lack, and within that lack is the wholeness that they need to find. I couldn't possibly speak to what it is. Yeah. Um, I know, like you said, like this mindset, you might think that like you should run towards the Beirut and then achieve that level. That's not the right outlook. But, um, but still, unknowing this outlook, how much should you try and still veer from the Because should you just naturally let it happen if you don't grab it anyway, and then like. Like, it's, it's part of the process, or should you actively... Like how much should you actually try and avoid falling? Well, of, of course, we should always do our best to do the right thing, right? But inevitably, we will fall. Inevitably, it, It's yeah. built into the process. So, the lack... The, the, the Let's put it this way. If for five minutes you were able to have self-control, that's amazing. If after five minutes the self-control fell apart... Now you're in a new world. You're in a world where you have an opportunity to discover the wholeness within the lack. But we don't run towards the lack. The lack will be there plenty. We do everything we can to avoid it. But when we're there, there's an opportunity to mine the nugget. Yeah? Well, two things. Um, one is not more in terms of what was said. I, I kind of think that like, if a person does even, not necessarily run towards the lack, but more allows for the lack to happen in the first place, then that mindset in the first place is going to be one where the person is then not becoming the future self that they're looking to become in the first place. Because every time there's a lack, 
you're going to be okay with the lack, then if you're okay with the lack, you're not going to work to become that future self as a result of that. Or, or, but you could have made the opposite argument too, right? You could have said that being okay with the lack is the Pesach to discovering the wholeness within the lack. Right? Because the person who's not okay... Okay, so I'm saying, so they, but that's a subtle difference, right? Because the person who's the person who's not okay with the lack, let's say who falls into the world of shame, and they don't know how to not be perfect, they will also not find the wholeness within the lack. Exactly. Right, so I think what you mean to say is that a person ought to, we, we would hope, would cultivate, right, it may take time, but we would hope would cultivate an attitude of ambition towards discovering the wholeness within the lack. But the lack, just to be clear, the lack of being, a, let's say you have a person who's not ambitious, that's also part of the fall that will one day lead to that future self. So it's right. So you have to be willing to allow, even for a person who's let's say, not striving for perfection, that's also part of a fall, which ultimately could be a future self that will pick yourself back up. Yeah, second point. The second thing was in terms of what Arabir was saying before, in terms of every, uh, in terms of what we said there, that every person's soul is completely godly, um, and that therefore it cannot grow or decrease. Um, in that regard, um, in terms of Hashem, um, Hashem can't grow, right? Is it a fair line of thinking to say? At that point, that being that we have peace of Hashem inside of each and every one of us, that we are kind of the actualization of Hashem's ability to too, actually... Too far, too far afield to answer that question now. There is a school in Kabbalistic thought that speaks about that, that Hashem's, Hashem's perfection is discovered within this world, and that we are the expression of Hashem's growth. But you have to know exactly what that means, you have to say it in a very, very careful way, otherwise you could end up being a kaifer. Sure. But uh, it's just too far afield for us to handle today. Yeah. yeah uh, I was going to say, because uh, when you mentioned something about uh, when you mentioned uh, about doing the virus and uh, where that might lead you, uh, it reminded me of something that I went and talked with Aiden about, uh, about uplifting the virus and, uh, and how even, even if you make a mistake, um, there, there is a way that you can uplift that to a point where it's like it's not it's not on the same level. So like if uh, I don't really know how to how to go further with that, but that was uh, it kind of resonated with with me the way you said that because if you make a mistake and then you look back on it a year from now, that that got you to where you are, you're sort of elevating that mistake by. By growing and learning from it. Exactly right. So. And, and you, let's say that, for example, there are guys that, again, I'm going to say this in a funny way, but let's say there are guys that in high school learn a lot more. And then they come to Israel and they continue to learn a lot. But perhaps because they never had the absence of Hashem in their lives, perhaps the passion can be somewhat lacking. Masha'in came a guy who, let's say, comes to Israel and discovers the beauty of learning, and he realizes what's been missing from his life for, let's say, his high school years, sometimes the expression afterwards in his Judaism is much more passionate because of that, and that might be ultimately, in the long term, something that really aids his growth. Yeah? So back to what, what Sam was saying before about uh, So obviously, I'm sure it's not the case for all of them. I'm sure many of them were great from the start. It's you know, practically out of the moment. 
But uh, I've definitely heard stories of, of Gadolin that were actually very troubled kids, sort of like uh, everyone was like Einstein you know, failed some of his some of his classes in school. Maybe they had you know ADHD. That's something they couldn't learn in the classroom, but because either they were just too bright, they just couldn't sit still, and they used their talent. Their challenge they had to use their talents elsewhere. They had to develop that as they matured and as they entered uh, as they entered adulthood and learn to use those talents and become a great person from there. So maybe that was their challenge. Later on, it was maintaining it. But in the yeah, it could be. Again, I, I couldn't possibly answer, you know, about Rechaim, for example. Though I know they tell stories that he was a Levitic child, but I, I don't know what that means. Um, but for example, the Gemara talks about Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish was a bandit. Reish Lakish, in theory, was attempting to do major harm to Rav Yechanan when he jumped into the river, and before he became uh, before he became from. So certainly true. Rav Akiva, for the first forty years of his life, he was not just he was not just ignorant. He hated Talmidei Chachamim. Said that he wanted to bite their uh, heels like a donkey. Like he wanted to crack their bones in half. And that's uh, certainly true that those people, I think, you could potentially argue that the begin- the lack in the beginning is what created the godless in the end. Yeah? Um, so I get everything we're saying was thinking about it for yourself. But in terms of how you interact with others, like a, a friend, or I mean, like, let's say like a kid. If you, have a, if you have your kid and you're raising him and you see he's about to... Uh, like doing a Vera, is it your responsibility to prevent him from doing that, or is it your responsibility to let him do that and then become a better person? What a wonderful question. What a wonderful question. In terms of Chinuch HaBanim, you're saying. Is that, we, in terms of any like, interaction with someone else, like, yeah. should you stop your friend from doing a Vera, or should you understand well, that that will lead him to be a better person if you don't? Let's put it this way. Let's just put it into parenting for a second, right? Of course we have a responsibility to teach our child right from wrong. And of course we have a responsibility to position our child to do right. And sometimes some children grow up with, we'll call it, tacit approval of the wrong thing. Right? And meaning sometimes you have parents that, let's say, maybe themselves they're not so observant. And maybe their kid being is not so observant and they go, yeah, it's okay. No, Meaning maybe even not that. Maybe there's a... Maybe even a subtle wink. Maybe it's like a yeah, yeah. Go ahead, do your thing. You know, what I'm saying like right. You know, like dads that'll like uh, dab it up with their teenage sons. Be like, I'm proud of you. You know, like um, maybe even let's say just don't tell mom. You know, like one of those types of situations. Uh, obviously, that's the wrong thing to do. Obviously, that's the wrong thing to do. But uh, yeah, it's a little bit. It's a little bit too much personal here. But but. How we respond when our children make mistakes is fundamental, right? Because if we teach our children when they make a mistake that that's the end of the road, right? And like Yehuda was saying before, we zap them of that confidence, and we don't teach them that this is now part of a process that they're on. That that's a uh, that's not so good either, right? So you have on the one hand, let's say you have parents that are like too strict, right? And they don't know how to teach their child to get up after the fall. And on the other hand, sometimes you have parents that are too loose and sort of saying, like, yeah, 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 they'll just figure it out. Like, at some point, they'll go to Israel. Would there be a difference in the ages before and after Bar Mitzvah? Well, yeah, I would would even be more specific than that. It's not just a question of before and after Bar Mitzvah. It's also, you know, you have to know your child, and you have to know that ninth grade is different than 10th grade, and 10th grade is different than 11th grade, and 11th grade is different than 12th grade. Isn't that the best to just set a good example? Because yes and no, right? Because, of course, the best thing you could do is set a good example, right? But we do have to respond when our children 
make mistakes. Yeah, but mistakes between them and God. If you if you teach them what is right by setting an example that they know, you just have to make sure that they know. But after that, isn't it? Not necessarily. I don't necessarily agree with that. So uh, maybe never, but the uh, let's put it this way. Trees need trellises in order to grow straight. And children need rules and boundaries. And that's important. Now, making healthy rules and healthy boundaries is really important. But, like, for example, if, if somebody said to me, like, look, I keep Shabbos. My kid doesn't. I role modeled it for them. And after that, you know, it's up to them. I'm not, I'm not convinced that that's good chinuch. Well, what is good? I, I think whatever a person does, right? And there are, I mean, I mean a myriad of choices. Yes, we cannot make people do anything, right? But I don't think it's as simple as, like, we allow this in our home, right? A person is able to say, you know, this is our home, we're asking you to be respectful. There are, there are some important conversations to have, and even well before that. Again, I, I think, just I want to be careful that this doesn't become a conversation, but what do we do with children who go off the derech? Because that is a fascinating conversation, but lavdafka today's topic. But I do think that that's very important to say. I don't think it's as simple as, look, I role modeled it, and now you're a big boy, you make your own choices. No, I, I think a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid needs needs boundaries. I think that's a healthy thing. Yeah. So, so with uh, example, yeah. Are you continually picking between the lesser of two evils? Again, I think both of those scenarios are very black and white, and I think there's a tremendous amount of gray nuance in between them. You're saying you have to understand with the judgment call which area should agree that. For sure, and when our children do make mistakes, we have to teach them, okay, so what's the opportunity now? Like, does that work for you? And maybe the child says yes, and maybe that speaks to a more underlying problem. Like a, a kid in our community who doesn't like learning, right? I would say there's an opportunity there. A, a great parent would ask them to, like, people in general love to learn. If you get Kamara for a second, people in general love to, they learn something, they go, oh, that was cool, right? You see, like, a visceral. Right. Well, it's not just power, right? It's, it's the natural mind, right? We, we enjoy learning. So when kids don't like learning, we have to ask ourselves why. And then maybe they require, a com- you know, a completely different chinuch than the next kid. So that's a complex question. Okay. So what is a healthy response? So it goes like this. We'll finish off the share with this. We hold ourselves accountable. Accountability is a very healthy thing. Because accountability is not blame. Blame is the discharge of emotion, right? When someone blames somebody else, that's not the same thing as, some, as holding somebody else accountable, right? So if somebody comes late this year and I hold them accountable, is that blame or is that accountability? What would you say? You say to them, you say, you say, let's say you say to them, 
you have a responsibility to be here on time. It's within the first couple of minutes, I'm not going to say anything. But after that, I'm going to say something to you. And if it continues to happen, at some point, we'll have to say, like, it's no longer a respectful environment, right? Is that blame or accountability? That's accountability, right? If a Rebbe blows up and goes, get out, how dare you, right? What do you, you think that's chinuch or you think that's accountability or blame? That sounds like blame. Feels like blame. Right? When somebody loses their stuff, it's much more about blame. Meaning the point is that when, when, when we make mistakes, we don't, because we are enough for ourselves, we allow ourselves to now go through the process of feeling all of the feelings that come up with making the mistake and owning that. And that's called holding ourselves accountable. Like, if somebody says, um, like, here's a classic example, right? Let's say a guy goes, Rebbe, I'm really struggling with this. You know, I've been telling myself for months that I'm going to get better at it, and uh, honestly, Rebbe, I'm not any better at it. So I guess I don't care. Is that true? No. That's not true, right? What's he doing in that moment? He's shirking accountability, right? He's just discharging emotion. He's saying, I don't care anymore, right? So I don't care is for him blaming himself? Yeah, in a certain sense. He's like, I can't handle these emotions. Okay, so let's say, for example, uh, holding yourself accountable in that way would be, clearly this is something of import to me because I've been trying at it for months, right? And I'm okay to feel the feelings of failure. You know the difference? And there And now, because I feel the feelings of failure, right, I can now discover within that feeling of failure the wholeness that's embedded within. I don't want to feel these feelings of failure anymore. And as a result, maybe that's how they get moving. As opposed to having the emotional temper tantrum, not allowing yourself to feel, feel the feelings of failure, right? Just discharging that emotion so that you don't take it in and never discovering, discovering the wholeness that was within the lack. Do you hear the difference? Accountability is allowing yourself to feel the feelings of failure in order to recognize the wholeness within the feelings of failure. And that's how I begin to make change. And that's as opposed to blame, which is an attempt to take these feelings of failure and put them outside of yourself so as to no longer feel them when a person, I mean, this is kind of like an out of point out of that, where like just at the end of the day, the feelings are still going to be there and you're going to have to be accountable for them at some point. That's true. Maybe not now. Yeah. So if you take your example, let's say somebody who's <coughs> struggling for shoppers and for several months doesn't make any change, or we confronts him. So for him, even to, to make whatever, to take any external factor, any sort of excuse would be a form of blame versus saying, Rabbi, I'm not going to say anything. I, it's on me. I, there's no reason why I should not be coached. Right. Without the accountability. Exactly. And, and then it would be not just saying, and now I'm going to come. It would be something like, that didn't really feel comfortable when that Rebbe said that to me because what he was saying was true. And I feel like I haven't been living in harmony with the truth. And that's sort of uncomfortable. Maybe you could feel it in your heart and you could feel it like expanding a little bit. And then you go, ooh, I really do want to be a person that goes to shachas. I, I don't want to be living not in consonance with the truth. And then tomorrow, making the decision that holds myself accountable because that uncomfortable feeling led to the growth itself. Yeah, Sam. So if someone is like, if someone is like, a, like an onis or something, like, like I'm saying, he, for whatever reason, like, yeah, of course, that's not what we're talking about, because that would also be inappropriate accountability. Neither accountability. Right. Well, in that case, it would be appropriate to hold yourself accountable. Let's say there was someone who has Crohn's disease. This happened a number of times, and I, I guess if you have Crohn's disease, your stomach issues in the morning apparently are exquisitely painful, um, and they don't make it to shachers. To say to themselves, 
oh, I really should be making it to Shachas. I mean, I know I'm really not feeling well, but like, I really should be pushing myself to go to Shachas. That might also be discharging the emotions, right? Like, maybe it's the right thing for you not to go to Shachas when you're in that level of pain, right? So there's too much accountability. Too much accountability is not accountability either. That's, that's, that's just another way of discharging the emotion. Is that blame for yourself? Could be. But it's, but it's an inappropriate blame. That's the point. In other words, in that case, let's say it was the appropriate thing not to go to Shachris. You're not actually servicing anybody by going to Shachris in that case. Grisly. Um, okay, we'll stop here for today. Rabosa, have a wonderful Shabbos.